This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer. Worldwide, I'm Libby Snymer. It's not rare to see patients lying on gurneys in hallways and closets waiting to be seen by hospital physicians. In fact, it's become the norm. We'll talk to Ontario Medical Association President-elect Nadia Alam. And he's best known for his iconic role in MASH, but actor Alan Alda's life's work is communicating science. We'll talk as he prepares for his Idea City appearance. But first, here are the Zoomer headlines from around the world. There is now a second constitutional challenge to the Trudeau government's restrictive law on assisted dying. 68-year-old Robin Morrow suffers from Parkinson's disease and under the law is unable to get a medically assisted death because by the legal definition, her death is not reasonably foreseeable. Morrow says if the law is not changed, she'll end her own life by refusing to eat or drink. Julia Lamb of Chilliwack, B.C. has spinal muscular atrophy and launched the first constitutional challenge to the law last June. It's rare to celebrate one person turning 100 years old, so what are the chances of seeing twins celebrating the milestone? Brazilian twins Maria Pinhaton Pontin and Paulina Pinhaton Pandolfi both turned 100 this week and celebrated with a photo shoot by Brazilian photographer Camila Lima. The shoot took place in Vitoria, Brazil, where the sisters are already local celebrities. For the shoot, Paulina and Maria wore bright tutus and were photographed holding hands and sitting in front of a pink Volkswagen Beetle. Zoomer legend Dame Judi Dench has a rose with her name on it. The apricot-colored rose hybrid called... The Rosa Dame Judy Dench Rose was introduced at the Chelsea Flower Show in the UK this week. The 82-year-old told onlookers she was honored and delighted to have a flower named after her, which was made especially for her at a nursery in Albrighton. Delighted as she was, nature got the better of her. After leaning in to smell the rose, Dame Judy Dench sneezed. And we've been hearing for some time that chocolate has some health benefits, but now there's new evidence. A study in the journal BMJ Heart says that people who consume small amounts of chocolate each week have a 20% lower risk of developing atrial fibrillation, a heart condition characterized by rapid or irregular heartbeat. The main reason for the health benefits from chocolate? Cocoa contains compounds called polyphenols, which improve vascular health, by increasing blood flow and helping to decrease inflammation. Dark chocolate is a better choice than milk chocolate because it contains more cocoa solids. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. 
Overcrowding in hospitals has become the norm in Ontario. There are at least six hospitals whose acute care beds had an average occupancy rate over 100%, and 89 hospitals above 85%, the threshold which many experts describe as the ideal for preventing the spread of infection and accommodating a sudden surge in the number of patients. Patients are fed up, and sometimes the results are tragic. Here is a woman named Crystal. I lost my father three months ago. My mom had him take him to the hospital Monday by ambulance in the morning. By the evening, they said to my brother, you can take him home. There's nothing wrong with him. Tuesday, they're calling my mom at the house saying, we have to bring back your father. He has to come back to the hospital. We found something. We waited in emergency for six and a half hours before they even took my father. Sorry and to hear that. They requested for us to bring him back because it was an emergency. They finally put him in a bed, and um, they found that he had a lot of water in his lungs, and that's why he couldn't breathe. They drained him Wednesday. He was under quarantine. Thursday, he died. How do doctors see this from the inside? I spoke with OMA President-elect Dr. Nadia Alam. To be honest, I'm not surprised. We've been hearing stories like this from boots-on-the-ground doctors, frontline doctors, frontline nurses, and now patients as well. Right? The reason that it's hit the media in such a big way recently is not because it's a problem all of a sudden. This problem was actually identified a couple of years ago. The Ontario Health Coalition was already talking about this becoming a problem. What's happening now is that patients are getting fed up, and because they're speaking out, more people are paying attention. They are the canaries in the coal mine, right? I remember a situation where I was uh, put overnight in a hospital in a situation that was so bad, I asked them to please put me in the hallway, (laughs) which they were able to accommodate. I think people are used to that. Nobody is surprised. I mean, I've always seen uh, patients in hallways. Uh, What is your take? What's the problem? The problem is it's reached such a crisis point that hospitals before when there'd be a surge of illness, right? So like flu season or an epidemic like SARS, then they would go over capacity. They would call code gridlock or whatever name they want to call it, code burgundy, to try and manage the bed situation, the bed crisis they were in. Now it's happening all the time. Flu season's over and yet Most of the hospitals in Ontario are still operating above 100% capacity, which means there's no reserve. And what's happening is frontline workers, the nurses, right, who are struggling, running around like crazy, struggling to take care of all of these patients, they're burning out. Doctors who are struggling and running around like crazy trying to take care of all these patients, they're burning out. Patients are burning out from the insane wait times, right, from sitting in a closet because there's no stretcher, there's no pillows, there's no gurneys around, there's no rooms around. They're sitting in a closet waiting to be admitted. They're sick as dogs, and they're not getting the kind of care that they should be getting. Mm-hmm. But is, is this a problem that you throw money at, or is that not the solution? It's pretty complicated, Libby. It's, it's a whole bunch of factors that have created this kind of crisis, right? Part of it is there hasn't been enough money. Hospitals budgets have been frozen. So hospital funding has been frozen for a number of years, up until last year when the government started throwing a bit of extra funding their way. The thing is, hospitals are businesses, right? They still have to buy supplies, they have to pay for their workforce, and they have to buy and upgrade equipment, right? So all of that 
stuff costs money, and that cost rises with every year. Add to that the fact that at one end, you don't have enough nursing home beds. So as people get older, as people need more care, all of a sudden they can't cut it in their own homes. They can't cut it in retirement homes. They need 24-7 nursing care. And so they need nursing homes, but there's no beds available there. People pack bags now to go to the emergency (laughs) department because they know they need to bring food. Some of them bring changes of clothing. When you've got kids, you bring several diapers and lots of snacks because you know you're going to be sitting there a long time. People bring stuff to read, crossword puzzles, Sudoku, so that you don't get to... someone to show up with an air mattress. And then you add another layer on top of that. You've got these small hospitals being cut down. Dr. Michelle Cohen wrote an amazing article in the Huffington Post where she talked about how a lot of the move has been to take services out of rural hospitals and move them into these centers of excellence, these centralized urban hospitals, right? The big city hospitals where you get most of the services. That wasn't always the case. That's been a move over the last decade or so. Well, there are a lot of reasons for that, some of them very good reasons. Yes, and some of them are very good reasons. Problem is, these urban hospitals didn't get any extra funding to compensate for having to provide extra services. That was Dr. Nadia Alam, president-elect of the Ontario Medical Association. I'm Libby Nimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. What is actor and filmmaker Alan Alda doing in Toronto in mid-June? We'll tell you right after this. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. He became an icon portraying Dr. Hawkeye Pierce in the classic TV series MASH. Since then, Alan Alda has had a passion for all things scientific, especially the art and science of relating and communicating. He will be communicating with us in person at Idea City in a few weeks. In the meantime, we chatted by phone about his latest book. Alan Alda, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Okay. So first of all, let's start with the title of the book, If I Understood You, Would I Have This Look on My Face? I, I think that says a lot about the content. It does. It's, uh, if you can't afford the book, you can read the title and try to figure out the rest. What it means really is I think I stumbled across an unusual idea in the 25 to 50 years I've been working on this. And that is, if you're trying to communicate with somebody, it does matter what you say, but it matters a little bit more whether or not the other person is getting it. And they're going to get it if they pay attention to what's going on in your head, or the person talking has to think about what's going on in the head of the person who's listening. Or it's not going to take place. It's just spraying information at them. And the way we can figure out what's happening in their head is to observe them or figure out what's probably going on if we're writing for them. So you talk a lot about the role of listening and the role of empathy. Yeah. Yeah, empathy, you know, there's a lot of definitions of empathy. And some definitions seem to lean heavily on the idea that if you have empathy, you're a nicer person or you're more compassionate. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think empathy is just a tool. You can use it to help people, to communicate with them, 
Or you can use it to be a bully or an interrogator or a torturer. I think those people use empathy, too. But if you're really trying to help somebody, that can be a real tool to communication. I'd like to focus a little bit on communication by doctors, because yeah. that's something that's, that's very important to our demographic, to Zoomers. We had a really remarkable report from a medical student we had trained in communication. And we start with improvisation exercises, which are designed to put the scientist or the, the doctor in touch with another person, where they observe them and they can read them and figure out what's happening in, inside them by observing their face, their body language, their tone of voice, and that kind of thing. And he had taken this training, and he was on rounds on, on the floor, and the head doctor was explaining to a patient that she had cancer and that she was going to die. It had metastasized, and that was going to be it. And she just was looking at him blankly, not asking any questions, not responding in any way. And the medical student thought, this woman is not listening. She can't hear it. She's not in touch with what he's saying. And the head doctor just said, okay, and started to walk away. And the medical student said, do you mind if I talk to her? And he gave him permission. And he sat down in front of her, took her hand, and spoke to her in the plainest language, didn't use the word metastasis. But she started to understand that she was in the final stage. And for the first time, she started to cry and started to ask questions. Hadn't asked a single question up until then. And he was so moved by the fact that he had made contact with her in this simple way, he started to cry. So we don't train doctors to cry, but he was so moved by the fact that his work on communication had really helped this woman and eased her way to the end. Doctors and other scientists and financial professionals use a lot of jargon, and it's very hard to get them off of it. Yeah, it's interesting. I think every profession has its own jargon. Show business has jargon. If I told you on a movie set, get me a gobo, and put it on the century, and hurry up, it's the martini shot, and while you're at it, bring me a half apple. <laughs> you probably wouldn't know what I was talking about. And those are all simple things. I guess Translate, I, please. <laughs> I guess I better. A gobo is a thing that blocks out some light. It goes on a century stand, which has the name Century on it, because it used to be made by the Century Light Stand Company. And the martini shot is the last shot of the day, after which you go home and have a martini. And a half apple is a box about the size of half an, half an apple box that you can put things on like short actors. President Obama had started a brain initiative. And to kick it off, they had nanoscientists and neuroscientists in the same room together trying to figure out if they could examine brains by collaborating. The neuroscientists and the nanoscientists were both using the same word, the word probe, and they couldn't understand what the other one meant by it. They meant completely different things, an ordinary word, not even a technical term, but a term we use every day. They had a special meaning for it, and for hours they argued about it. So 
jargon can really get in the way, not only between science and the public, but between scientists and other scientists. And one of the things we've found in training scientists to communicate better is that they collaborate better when they learn to communicate better because they can talk to fellow scientists and collaborate across disciplines. So how do you get them off it? We, first of all, train them to pay attention to the other person and think about not so much what's the ideal way to say what they have to say, although that's important, but to concentrate on how it's landing on the other person. And we found that the more we give them practice in doing that, the more aware they are of who they're talking to. And it turns out it's for everybody. One of the reasons I wrote this book is that scientists themselves began to say to me, you know, this is for more than just scientists. One, one physicist said to me, you've got to train other people to, to communicate better because my wife is an art historian and I can't understand the word she's saying. <laughs> and another scientist said, you've saved my marriage. <laughs> Alan Alda, thank you so much, and I am really looking forward to meeting you at Idea City. Me too. Thank you. That's been really fun talking with you. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Alan Alda on his new book, If I Understood You, Would I Have This Look on My Face? He'll be speaking at Idea City, which runs June 14th through the 16th. You can get tickets at ideacity.ca slash tickets. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. The lead guitarist of the Creedence Clearwater Revival turns 72 today. We'll have more about John Fogarty in a moment. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Date Book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. A new photo exhibition at the Smithsonian American Art Museum honors John F. Kennedy, the 35th U.S. president, to commemorate the 100th anniversary of his birth. Lawrence Schiller curated the show. The exhibition features 77 images capturing Kennedy's life and times. In Venice, the Biennale International Art Exhibition is now in its 57th year and takes place at venues all over that Italian city. The hottest ticket in London's West End is Our Ladies of Perpetual Succor. It's at the Duke of York Theatre in a blaze of salty language and ELO's greatest hits. Set over a single day, the production follows six Catholic schoolgirls on a trip to Edinburgh for a choir competition. And Jeff Kuhn's large-scale public art installation has taken over New York's Rockefeller Center. The inflatable nylon sculpture of a seated ballerina is almost 14 meters high and is part of the artist's Antiquity series. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Date Book. This week, John Fogarty, the lead singer and lead guitarist of the band Creedence Clearwater Revival, is celebrating his 72nd birthday. CCR is one of the most iconic rock bands of the Zoomer generation, and although they played up a southern image with songs like Born on the Bayou, they're actually from Berkeley, California. The group only lasted five years, from 1967 to 1972, but they were very prolific. They released seven studio albums, six of which went platinum, 
After CCR broke up in 72, John Fogarty continued writing and performing as a solo artist. It's been an incredibly successful ride for him. He's still going strong, celebrating his birthday with a series of concerts in Las Vegas. Right now, we'll travel back to John Fogarty's time with CCR and hear one of their biggest hits, Bad Moon Rising. That was Creedence Clearwater Revival with Bad Moon Rising. Singer and songwriter John Fogarty is celebrating his 72nd birthday this weekend. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Dave Woodard, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.